Hey, hello everyone. Yeah, I like your hat. Thank you. uh, almost named Tasia Oakley at one point, but you know, the brand association, yeah. you know, it's, 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 a, it's a tough one. Uh, uh, thank you. Thank you to anyone who's joining. Uh, there's three of us here, here today. Um, that's all nobody know. We're both back in India right now. So it is like, I don't know the exact time, but the late and uh, we miss them in our office hours, but uh, we understand if I was on a Friday night at yeah, 10 30 PM, it's a tough one to make to make, to make it to this, um, but we know you're here in spirit, and uh, you know grateful for all the work that you're you're doing throughout the week here, and uh, you know we hope to see you on here one day. This is office hours 45, so uh, I think we're on president of the United States 46, but the last one was 45, um, so it's sort of a, a big uh, you know <laughs> number there, uh, and then really just have a couple topics that we want to go through. So without further ado, quick introduction. Introduction, Tyler. Um, this week, I am a uh, new house purchaser, so working through the complexities of that, and new dog owner. So uh, besides sort of these professional milestones, um, you know, uh, working on some personal ones and, and very happy to finish on a, on a good note in, in 2021. Really just fascinated with this ongoing sort of problem or challenge the companies are facing. All these recordings, all these audio files, even all this text, too much information, how do we manage it? How do we deal with it better? What can we learn from it? And so working to solve that problem here at SpeakAI and grateful to do it with some, some good people. Oh, thank you. Uh, this is Lauren. Uh, I'm like a yoga instructor and training now. I just joined up for some sort of course. So that's me on the personal front, yeah, on yeah. the business front. Lots of, uh, lots of accounting, just nonstop accounting. It's just been great. You say that you, you you say that on ironically, or or like when you serious. Or are you are <laughs> you being <laughs> bittersweet? I do enjoy the work. It's just a lot of work, so good and bad. Oh, no, I, I think the yoga. Wait, were you talking about the yoga or the? the I was asking him about that counting. The okay. yoga sound, the yoga sounds sweet. That just sounds sweet. That that makes yeah. sense in Lauren's uh, Lauren's world. So you are you going to be? So you you have to go how many hours and then you become an instructor? Like where you could uh, be an instructor. Hours. So you got some time ahead of you. You got a lot of yoga ahead of you then. Yeah, are you gonna but, Are you gonna go to India? No, no, it's all just online right now. Because I wasn't. I wanted to like sign up for like an actual, uh, like go in in class kind of thing. Right. But I'm just kind of curious about what will happen with COVID if it gets shut down, if I get my money back, stuff like that. So, right. just trying this out first, and maybe if I want more of a, a better pedigree, I can go for like my PhD in India. Mm -hmm. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh... Hey everyone, Nihal, uh, digital strategist here at Speak. Um, working on all things con content and uh, rocking a new hat because my hair refused to behave. So um, here we are. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. It is. It's December already, which is crazy. Uh, sort of writing up this monthly email, which will be later than normal. It's like if you try to do a monthly update and you don't do it like within the first couple of days after the month, it's like by the time you send that email out it's already the next end of the month um so uh but that's just the way that the work uh, works out and it's still you know as much as trying to get this process refined it's still quite a bit of work so um, out, like which day of the week is the best to send out this update i i would say i mean just on general trends uh, you know in industries and then just from our own it's like a tuesday morning seems to be you know early enough in the week where there's response and the ability to you know do something or you know if you're interested in something follow up with a question or book a meeting or whatever um, but not right on the monday where you're coming in and trying to get a bunch of your work done uh, and that's just sort of a general thing i've seen in marketing throughout the years like wednesday afternoon too late most likely you're not going to get anything done most people are already they're not checking out but it's the week is done and they're maybe already planned out built out what their next week looks like and unless it's very high value or something um it's hard to sort of get get into that uh that schedule i think it's interesting how there's so many things that point to people essentially being done with work like after three to four days and yet here we are still with like five six seven day work weeks and you know kind of traditional traditional jobs which is, is interesting right oh and it's it's you know the for the, the, the to, to me like the inspiration wanes uh i mean i'm lucky i feel very inspired by most of my work but i don't know i, I don't know if it, like for example is is shortening uh you know work week into it's just not a topic of discussion by the way but it's, it's emerged uh it's like say short down to four week four days a week is that the best, um, you know, 
next step for us as we sort of increase productivity and you know build more work-life balance so like does it not really matter about the four days a week it's and compressing it into that time it's more just the flexibility to work when you feel inspired and excited you know what i mean like i i, I don't i don't know i don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that i don't know there's like it depends on the job like there's certain times that are probably better to do certain jobs as well um maybe it's just people have different sleep cycles so they find they have more energy to do it you know in the evening or I'd imagine for like most salespeople, it's like, I have to get up at this time and work at this time because that's who the people I'm selling to are up. So I have to go reach them when I can. So it's yeah. like, uh, I think there's a lot more flexibility just uh, available, um, but it's, all, it's just a lot easier just to calculate things when it's just flat four or five days a week kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it really just, I, I feel like maybe we had a similar discussion earlier, like maybe like office hours 20 yeah, yeah. or something, uh, office hours 20 something. Um, was I even here at the 20 something? Maybe 30. I think so by then, yeah. Well, blur together now, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's only been eight and a half months, eight months, right? So it's, it's uh, feels like a lifetime in a good, like even everyone, I, I guess I talk about this, this work a lot more than, you know, like other, other jobs I've had because most of my friends were like, I feel like you've been there for two years. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, but yeah, interesting thought for sure. And um, I don't know if it really applies to, I guess, companies that um, are growing necessarily. Like I, I think it can, depending on you know how efficient you can be, how pr productive you can be. But um, I, I definitely think there are some uh, concessions you need to make when you work for, like, you, you know, either yourself or a non-large corporation. Because, you know, in a large corporation, it's like, okay, you have like, uh, you know, ten people, twenty people that work with you. So if you leave for a month, for example, the world's not going to end, right? Or the company's not. Yeah. Gonna otherwise, it's not good. Yeah. yeah. It, exactly. For, versus I, some, sometimes that that kind of. Uh, um, change is, is a bit hard a lot quite a bit harder to execute with a small team um, especially if you I guess just have a variety of talent instead of you know just specific type of talent um, yeah and even just like a you know sort of a repeatable simple sale exactly. you know like that you know yeah. some of the the you know we'll talk about that but it's just like some of the some of the complexity of tasks that people come to us with because of sort of what we're doing are are not just like stick anyone in there and they're going to have all the answers half the time. I don't have all, you know, the answers um, there and I need to do some research or talk to some people to figure out what, what's best. So um, I guess last week we talked about towards the end, I think that's what made a great point of like, how do we provide you know value for people who are here uh, watching this? Uh, part of that is people who are, you know, possibly speak users um, and, you know, just want to follow the team and maybe get some updates. And then other ones are like people who are maybe following more of a startup journey, entrepreneurs, uh, and then other people maybe just supporters. Who, or, and then the last group is like people who maybe just somehow come across this on YouTube, which is a pretty, pretty limited because of even how we sort of uh, structure the titles of these office hours and stuff. But still, I've seen a little bit of, of that happen. And one of the things that we've implemented and talk about it too much is this like intercom and, uh, the thought last week was like, what questions are we getting asked during the week? And then how can we answer those um, in these office hours? And hopefully that then turns into better resources for our end users and then even figure out some ways for us to sort of um, uh, build strategy to how to answer those questions in a more repeatable, scalable way uh, moving forward. So uh, I just want to go, I don't want to spend, some of these questions are pretty like nitty gritty things that like don't really, um, you know, have uh, uh, you know, that much of an answer that we can give. But uh, I want to go through a couple of these very quick, not very quickly, but quickly enough. And then we'll go into some of the other topics. Um, and maybe just some thoughts on like, are we doing this the right way? Or is there a better way to do it? Because one of the questions that came up a couple of times last week was, so first of all, uh, how does the 14 day trial, how does it end? So we have a 14 day free trial on speed. Um, within that, you get access to all features and you get 60 minutes of free uh, sort of transcription and analysis. And a couple questions have emerged from that in the last couple of weeks, specifically this last week. Um, what happens at the end of that trial? Uh, so that's one question. Someone asking, can I extend, uh, extend this trial? And then, you know, with that, uh, one question is like, will I get automatically charged at the end of it? Um, so, uh, yeah. So, so, I mean, because I, 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 we do have help documentation that addresses that, right? Um, 
And so, you know, if you go to, oh, we're trying to still figure out our uh, help subdomain, but um, one of our articles on that topic is, you know, like, how does the free trial work or what happens at the end of my free trial? And so to address that point, like, just to make it extra clear, like, you know, just added in the fact that since we don't ask for your credit card information, right, like our free trial is credit card free, you sign up, you only uh, enter your information when you decide to use the platform and pay for it. Um, so there's no need to worry about getting auto charge because we think it's skeevy, like in general, it's a very skeevy business practice to just, you know, Hey, enter, get this free trial. And then you're charged 200 bucks, right. At the end of your trial. Annual plan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I, I think we now, hopefully we can just shoot someone a link, you know, Hey, here's like an article explaining everything you need to know about your free trial and like the end of your free trial. Um, if you have any other concerns, just reach out to our team again. Um, the, the second one was the extension of free trial. Yeah, the extension of the free trial. Yeah. And I, I think we've discussed that a couple of times where we're more than happy to extend free trials. Um, I, I guess from our end, it really just depends on a use case and you know, uh, possibly what, what that arrangement looks, looks like, right? Because obviously we we don't want to like end up in a situation where we're offering you know certain customers maybe more time than other customers uh, unless it's uh i guess something that we actually learn from as well right because i i feel like it's a question of fairness sometimes um and how we kind of get that message across well the the delicate balance with all of it right which is yeah um you know you sign up and you know, I've had multiple occasions where I've signed up for a platform and they've made me put my credit card right there. Yeah. And, that, and, and in some cases, it's like, you know what? Okay, I'll go ahead. Other ones, I've actually just backed out of the sign-up process because I'm like, I don't like this. I don't yeah. like the way they presented it. I don't think the value is actually there. But in some ways, it's a validator that this person has like a willingness to pay or is serious about the product um, that you're developing. And then I think there's the second part, which you're saying, which I think is sort of, I wouldn't say uh, repulsive, um, but it's like, I just hate the auto charging. Yeah, like everyone knows, yeah, at the end of 14 days, you're charged, your, your credit card is going to be automatically charged. I, you know, I still don't like it. I actually think there's um, laws now against it in certain uh, uh, geographies that you can't do that. Uh, so I think there is, you know, there's been pushback by consumers on that. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I also really liked, I've seen one of my, one of the subscriptions that I have right now, I have too many subscriptions, like most of us these days. Um, it, it will message me say two or three days before and say, Hey, you're, you know, your, your subscription's about to renew spark Toro did that. And because of it, it actually built up a lot of consumer confidence and, and like trust and loyalty in the platform that is, Hey, you know, hope you had a great month in spark Toro. Just wanted to let you know your, your credit card is about to be charged. You know, if, if you didn't find value, please, but whatever, anyways, nice message. And I actually saw that message get shared over LinkedIn and Twitter because it was just a good practice in how to communicate with your customers. And I would say just last on that is like, we did the same thing when we had a freemium system and there was very low, you know, very almost no, like we reduced friction a lot because people didn't even have to worry about anything, but then we didn't see the conversion to sales that we're now seeing when we go through this free trial method. So in a way that that's been a successful experiment. And I find the less you do, the more you reduce the friction, the more you're going to get low quality people, emails, explorers who are never going to actually pay for your system. Uh, So just a, a, uh, a thing I guess I've learned, not just in our product, but even, you know, Nihal as a marketer, it's like, how many, how many form fields do I put on this contact form yeah. before it lowers the conversion rate, oh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Cause I think to your point, it's it, sometimes it's almost shifting the mindset from, you know, we want to help everyone to who has, you know, who among the people that we want to help uh, have you know, their pain is strong enough that they're willing to take a chance on, you know, like a product that came across essentially. And hopefully when they take that chance, we deliver on that trust that they've kind of given to us. Right. Um, So, which, you know, I think informs why a lot of companies that maybe do go the B2B or enterprise route almost exclusively don't do self-serve signups. 
right? It's all, let's get someone to talk to you um, and help you figure out whether this platform is right for you, right? So your time's not really wasted. Um, we're maybe not wondering, you know, left wondering whether or not you'll find the platform useful. Uh, and you kind of go from there. But then flip side is obviously you'll get a lot of less people running through the platform, stress testing your system, right? Uh, so uh, finding that balance is always, is always fun. All right, any thoughts on this? Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I guess, you know, one of the other questions that emerged um, throughout this week, um, this was too, too sort of twofold, I guess, some functionality that people are asking for, maybe it's because of the way that we structured the alternative uh, on, on, on the system and maybe what people are getting used to. So two questions that came out, can I overdub my voice with Speak AI? So that was one question. Another one was, um, can I edit the video via the uh, interactive transcript? Basically, can I edit through the transcript? Um, one of both of those, I mean, we've seen now platforms type studio, the script, um, a couple of platforms that are implementing this kind of technology and becoming, I would say more of a, you know, video editing production suite creation platform. Uh, you know, in a way I have jealousy of these systems, you know what I mean? That they can actually do this. And in other ways, it's like, not that the fact that we aren't doing that uh, is is a good thing, but it's like we're differentiating because we're focused more on the analysis side. And we've actually had people come from, you know, Descript or other places to say, you know, awesome, I edited this final polished video, or I got all these interviews all edited up, but now I want to do some analysis on them. And that's where we can come in. So um, unfortunately, no, right now you cannot overdub your voice. It's an amazing feature and saw a use case for this in one of our own customers the other day um, where, you know, the overdub feature would have been very, and for over, anyone, overdub is like, this group can record your voice. It will understand your voice and um, uh, generate it. So if you made a mistake in a podcast or a conference, you can basically edit it. And that editing ability, this is, you know, specifically this is Descript doing the best job at that, is allowing you to basically insert your voice in an area where you made a mistake. Very, very powerful, beautiful thing. I remember that was Descript buying Lyrebird, which was actually a Montreal-based AI research team to, to bring this technology into that company. So that's also the pleasure and privilege of uh, having big money and also have a starting Groupon to be able to uh, gather that cash and then make acquisitions like that. And then the same thing, editing with the transcript, really powerful feature. You know, Speak has the interactive transcript, but you can't, for example, you know, backspace or delete sentences, and then that edits the final output of the video. And I guess just your, you know, any insights that you guys have on that, is that something we should be doing because people were asking this or, you know, do we, we say, no, that's not the lane that we're in. Um, and, you know, we're not going to prioritize this right now. What, uh, what emphasis do you think we have on like video editing and that, uh, I feel like we don't really, um, do too much on the actual video. It seems like it's mostly editing is taking place on the actual transcription. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Like there's a whole other system that needs to be built if you want to turn it into a video editing publishing platform. And we have some pieces, you know, like the sharing and things like that, but you know, we're not really trying to um, help output the polished videos. Uh, we're more trying to, um, you know, ingest what is something sufficient to already and then run the transcription and run the analysis and hopefully produce some pretty um, stunning um, results or breakthroughs in terms of visualization or the deep search or, or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. uh, that seems to be kind of uh, deferring our trajectory in a way. Um, and you also have to think about like, what can we do better than like most other uh, uh, products that are now doing video editing in the same nature there. Um, and like, how can you, uh, you know, take that, uh, that market share away from them? Good. Okay. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, we'll wrap this up here. Just the other last one that I see. Well, one, one actually, two, one quick one, folder layout. So this one is interesting. A couple of people asked this uh, this week and, um, you know, basically there's a tagging system in Speak that allows you to tag media and then filter and analyze based on it. But Traditionally, we're, almost everyone is used to this folder idea, likes to organize, and it's also opening up a lot of opportunities for the analysis and sharing of media once it's all grouped into a folder. So that it's nice when you're sort of building something 
And as you're building it, you're getting repeated asks or requests uh, for that. So that's been a really sort of nice piece. And we'll actually see the first demo um, folders, I believe, next week and hopefully gets into production uh, as soon as possible. So it'll be much easier to organize your folders. And it's going to have some you know, relatively large consequences um, for the entire sort of uh, uh, system architecture and then how you're sort of managing your files and everything there. So that's an exciting change. Nihal, I know you're an advocate of folders. Uh, I think since you first even came here, it was one of the things that uh, that you said. So an exciting um, update for us for just the organization uh, of media. How soon along do you think that's coming? As a person who has been in you know development for a long enough, I, I never like to commit. Um, uh, but uh, it will be soon. It will be you know at least the sort of MVP version of it, functional MVP version in the production application. So um, within the next couple of weeks, I hope hope at the you know at the very latest it'll be Jan twenty twenty two. Good. Okay. And the last one has been like a question around. Um, sort of this idea of like, can I take survey responses from other applications and put them into speak? And, and one of the things that we've, almost all of the platforms are then exporting it in this sort of CSV format. That format can be supplemental to speak or it can be, you know, it just needs a little bit of configuration, but we're lucky enough to have sort of this, this CSV import uh, ability. So if you have say, you know, 100, 100 text-based survey responses and you wanna run analysis and sort of cluster sentiment, visualize, and then even maybe search and sort of surface the most positive or negative or really themes or patterns that you're looking for. If that's in a CSV, um, there's a couple column uh, labels that if you put that column label in, you can dump the whole thing in at once and then run the analysis on. So that's, that's very exciting and nice to see some people asking us for that. And one of the things we found was that there are systems that are running analysis or sort of capturing the survey responses, maybe even running some simple, simple analysis, but multiple times this week we heard, we love the way that your system is sort of structured to bulk analyze files. And then also the sort of this explore page um, and then the auto categorization with you know people, brands, locations, and other ways to configure it. So just again, a couple of great moments of sort of product market fit or repeated requests from high value customers or ideal customers that um, then can, can move ahead and use our platform. So uh, I'll wrap up there. That was the questions from Intercom uh, this week. Uh, hopefully, I mean, I, I, people probably in Intercom uh, or will not see this video. So they're probably gonna keep asking these questions, um, but I'm, I'm sure we can figure out just like what we've talked about, build it into help docs and make sure the answers are there when they ask it. So I talked too much during this section. I'm sorry to everyone, especially you two. Um, I would like to now open it up to uh, Nihal who actually you came with a couple of topics today, just uh, one that you'd love to pick off the top there. Uh, sure, what, what's a fun one? Uh, I I feel like we could get through this quickly, but just, kind of initial thoughts on outreach attempt number one, um, maybe, you know, things that went well, things that we hope to improve upon. And the third point could be, you know, how we maybe visualize what scaling that process looks like. I thought you were doing a bit of outreach yourself. What are my thoughts? Yeah, like you did. I mean, I think you were doing a little bit more smaller amount mm -hmm. personalized mm -hmm. outreach. Um, I don't know. Do you have a sample? Did you get say ten, and then any responses? Can we use that to sort of extrapolate uh, no, success? Yeah. <laughs> I, I I think the so, so from my end, I feel like, um, and and it's tough to really know, right? But for example, when you do get reached out to, or when you um, you have people trying to connect with you, right? Um, for better or for worse, I sometimes feel like title and kind of perceived seniority within an organization plays a role. Um, at least this is my hy hypothesis, right? Like perceived seniority in an organization plays a role in how likely someone is to also respond to you. Um, where, you know, even if you just look at us and the types of people we've responded to, I guess, uh, when we do get some outreach, it's, you know, usually some, like, I think twice we've had like a C-suite. Um, other times we've had like, you know, team leads or like uh, head of sales, whatever it is, right? And I, I feel like that kind of takes, once again, for, 
for better or for worse, uh, the perception people have is, oh, someone in this higher kind of position is taking the time to actually reach out to me and like, you know, build a personal rapport, right? Versus uh, someone that could be perceived as just, you know, like an employee of said organization. Um, so th that's one hypothesis that I'm, I'm wondering about. Uh, this, the second one is, I was actually watching an interesting, uh, like Spark, because you brought up, brought up Spark Toro earlier, and like their, I forget her title, but Amanda Natvidad, right? And like, I was watching her video on um, how she gets 80% response on her cold outreach, right? Which, which is nuts. But her, her, entire, her entire thing was slow, organic relationship building, and then you, you know, make that connection. So it's, let's say you want to reach out to, a and I mean, their space is a bit different, right? Because they're reaching out to influencers and uh, kind of uh, uh, thought leaders, people like that. So I feel like her strategy is, okay, I'm going to, I have my eyes on reaching out to someone. I'm going to, you know, subscribe to the newsletter, sign, like listen to their podcast, watch their YouTube videos, whatever it is, leave comments on their stuff. So they're kind of aware of who I, that I'm a real person. And then, you know, when I kind of make this cold outreach, it's almost like a lukewarm outreach at that point, right? Uh, and you attach this a more personal element to it. And maybe that's how you can land slightly higher value clientele as well, right? Or more, just more sales qualified leads than general market qualified leads as well. So that's number two. And, and then the third hypothesis, just, I mean, this is more based on your efforts. I also feel like scale and the amount you can actually get out there plays a role, right? Like, like with most things in life, like the more you do it, like even if you're just randomly throwing darts, like eventually you'll hit, hit a bullseye, right? Um, and I, I think you can do that and then you find out what works and then you slowly narrow down, you know, the messaging that works, the people that it works on and who is actually benefiting from having these conversations with us. Um, so those are kind of, three i guess thoughts or insights that i've kind of gleaned in the past week um but interested to you know see what what you think and how yeah. how we can maybe s improve this as well right obviously when it comes to scale there's obviously the limitation of just uh, available time and people to do sales right because if you had a sales team uh, we could do the, we could do both, right? You could have the kind of general outbound, like mass outreach, and then you can have, you know, identify 20 really valuable clients per week, do the cold outreach, do the cold calls, um, you know, set, set up meetings with them. Um, but it, it's kind of tough to do that when, you know, you're, I guess in one way, like one, like a one and a half person sales team, uh, right? So even say like you, you and I are both a half right now you know what I mean or even maybe just 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 one I think you know one thing that is also really important which we didn't haven't done uh is like um it actually needs to have um a pace to it you know what I mean like I, I outreached to more people this week but I didn't follow up with the people from the previous week besides the one who actually messaged back so now I can outreach again next week but there's a pace um, that's not being maintained there. We're also in the end of the year. Like one of the people actually, uh, I got a good response from and said she wants to meet in January and booked a meeting in January, but she's like, it's going to be hard to get anything done in Q4 of 2021 with Christmas looming here. You know, is this the best time to outreach? And sometimes maybe it's a good thing because people are looking at what they want to do in the new year and, you know, how to, how to, how to best proceed. But in other cases, uh, it's a busy time of year where people are thinking a lot more about personal things than even pro professional things. So that's one thing that I've, I've seen. I agree with the, the higher up, at least perceived to be the easier it is to get those conversations. Um, I still think there, you know, it comes down to is the value proposition strong enough to make it work? Like if the value proposition is strong enough, it shouldn't matter if it's coming from you or me or anyone, it's just like, holy crap, this is, uh, this, I really want to explore this. And if I think we're not there, there yet. And that's shown by the, you know, the open, I mean, yeah, we don't know fully know the open rate, but response rate, um, which I would say is about 4% um, response rate. Um, you say Amanda from SparkTor was 80%, you know, that means we got some work to do, but again, you sort of set a different process that she was, sort of, she was taking there. And also 
SparkTor is not as well known, but I'm sure in some way that message is connected to Rand, CEO of Moz, blah, blah, blah. You know, like the, the, the history that they've built, the credibility there. And even with that, one of my, two of my friends, Jimmy, Jimmy and Lucia uh, from OzMine, you know, I've known them for a long time. They were just noticed, they were just actually in Forbes 30 under 30 for healthcare, which is amazing. Congratulations, uh, both of you, it's well deserved. Uh, but even something like that, where it's like the signature in your email, if they, you know, put Forbes 30 under 30 in your email, probably going to get a higher response rate than some unknown uh, people, right? So there's so many ways to build credibility and your access based on who you are, how you represent yourself, and then the perceived value of the work you're doing or, 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 or there. So, uh, and then, yeah, it comes, it comes back, uh, I know I'm rambling here, but it's like the value proposition part. I was showing you, Nihal, like in the early, when we were still recovering from the pandemic, I did a bit of marketing work for a client and, you know, set up some Google ads for them and was like, basically looked at it and was like 99% reduction in their cost per conversion. Uh, and that's like a, that's, that's a strong value proposition if I'm outreaching and I'm building a case study uh, for someone. So how can we make that uh, with speak, you know, like, um, you know, not, you know, obviously can't make these numbers up. We need to measure them, but it's like, you know, 95% reduction in the uh, transcription cost and uh, time turnaround time to manage media. But like, it, that's, that's not good enough. But even now, as you are ordering professional transcriptions on the platform, speak will pop up and said, you've shared or you've saved 55 hours of time based on say one hour of media and four hours that it takes for a transcriber to do it. So if we could extrapolate and say, hey, the hourly rate of your team is 250 an hour and you save 55 hours, we've saved you X dollars if, if you had done it yourself. So there's ways to sort of build that value proposition and that the, the outcomes are, are valuable there. And like, we did one one last part that sort of goes upon this is we're lucky we have some, you know, someone with some really good sales experience sort of helping us out and even taking a look at some of the sales calls um, that we have and, um, you know, some really good insights around you guys are doing a fantastic job, obviously valuable what you're doing, but you're in a call like that. You're not actually exclusively asking the prospective customer or a customer, what is the impact of this to you if this is successful or if this is implemented. And you shouldn't be giving that answer. They should be talking it out and it should make sense. Uh, and that's something that we need to let happen more. So it doesn't you know, go specifically to this e email outreach, but transforming it to the impact on the end customer um, is something we need to be taking a little bit more of an approach. And I even had an investor conversation this week where I took too long to get to our customer and the impact, and I could see that that conversation was not headed in the right direction because of it. Spent too much time on the tech and the application of the tech and not enough on the value for the customers and what it means for them. And uh, you know, because of it, the conversation was not as powerful as it, is, as it should have been. Um, I wanted to ask like more about the actual outreach that happened this past week, like um, how much was actually done uh, like who you're outreaching to you having a target and is it like too soon to uh really come to any sort of conclusion like how long do you usually wait for someone to um get back to you before you consider it like a failed outreach if you're cold outreaching this is maybe someone's laughing at when i say this i i got emails up i say i emailed people last tuesday i got emails up till wednesday this week. So basically a week for a cold outreach for someone to get back to you. But then I've seen uh, one, I don't know if you remember him, uh, Oscar at Innovation Works. He used to do 12 emails. You know what I mean? To the point at one point, it would be like, just stop messaging me. And then he would keep going till it was like, all right, you're persistent. I'm going to give you a chance. And, and there is that sort of transitory moment. Um, so I would say it's not even a failure if you don't even get a response the first time. The failure is if you fail to follow up uh, and continue to try to add value and sort of assess, assess why, you know, why didn't they follow up? Like most people are looking for help today. And, and in a way, like there's a massive talent war to solve business problems. And, you know, here we have done our best to build a, a platform, plus have a great team to help solve a lot of those problems. So it's not like we're out here throwing bull poop around uh, it, with no value to people. It's just 
finding the right people who need that. And, you know, again, multiple indicators that were in the same ball, the right ballpark. A lot of these people, Lauren, to answer your question, pretty high up heads of director of research, much of them qualitative research, market research specifically, uh, and also maybe a little bit more sort of like healthcare, but a lot of competitive, intelligent market research uh, leaders in the space. And then tried to focus on the term qualitative uh, because we know that then they're dealing with unstructured text data and then audio video um, data. And with that, a lot of insights came out to even the platforms they're using or their current process, which was really helpful. What's the actual like strategy for outreach? Are you guys just doing like one cold email or are you coming at them from like different social media and multiple emails or phone calls? What's going on there? I mean, in the ideal world, it would be emails, multiple email follow-ups. I still think the biggest way, the best way to connect with people, at least in mine, I mean, in, I, I've been, I love LinkedIn. Like I love connect connecting with someone on LinkedIn, sending them a nice message. You can only, you can only now connect with hundred people a week. Uh, so in the past, it was much easier to do a little bit more scale, but that's where you also ended up with spam on LinkedIn and people sending you bullshit messages all the time. So that was then done. And now a lot of people, I know Nihal's a fan of that, but are interacting, I would say even on Twitter threads and even like Twitter DMs or other platforms, depending on the audience and who you're dealing with. Some people are very reachable and accessible, but like directors of researchers for qualitative, they're not necessarily these big public outspoken influencer people. These are like very serious. A lot of them are very serious, hardworking people who you can only reach by email a lot of times with an intro or something like that. And even I found because of that, um, some of my emails that I've tried to send from outreach have you know, said unrecognized sender not being delivered. So um, that can present the challenges. Sometimes you can't even get to those people because they're filtering out uh, a lot of a lot of e emails uh, in that regards. Um, for outreach as well, uh, are you keeping track of like how many people are like cold outreaches that you have no connection whatsoever? Or do you have a certain amount of outreaches that are also you have uh, connections from uh, you know one individual or another? some other company as well. You can do that through, say on LinkedIn, you go, you go second and third, or second, no, second, second and first connections, basically. well, no, second connections is the biggest. First is you're directly connected to, second to your, there's a relationship between someone. Say you filter down to that, then you can uh, use that as a personalization attempt, or at least there's more of a relationship um, there that's built. But then if you don't communicate that in the actual outreach, then you've sort of failed to use that leverage that there's a shared shared relationship there. So um, a lot of these people- like a lot of, Do you find like a lot of your shared relationships are worth mentioning about too? Or um, diversity? I think, I think anytime you see someone, you connect with someone, you see a bunch of, maybe it's, if it's minimal and you don't really know that person, that's one thing. But like, there's been a lot of people where I've seen like 45 shared people. I'm like, oh my God, we got some really good friends in common. And that just builds- repertoire right away and an understanding of each other, but uh, you're not always lucky um, enough to, to have that. And some of the people that we're outreaching to, I have no shit of connections with them. Um, so uh, it's not really, you know, uh, transacting there. The process continues and it makes sense why as an investor or, you know, even a business, you're looking at a market size with enough people from the bottom up approach like that there's hundreds of thousands of people who fit the profile because you're going to have to <laughs> reach out a lot of people and fail a lot of times to get to the successful configuration that's required. And if there's only, you know, 80 people who do the job that you're doing and you burn through all those 80 uh, unsuccessfully, then who else are you going to outreach to? Uh, do you have to pick a whole different customer base and, and market? So that, that was really apparent in the last couple of weeks is to reach, if we're at a 4% conversion rate, even for positive responses, not just like signing up to become a customer. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that you need to outreach to make those those numbers work. Mm -hmm. And you can do like tests as well. You can figure out, you know, who am I going to outreach today or this week rather? I get four uh, percent, and then next week you do a tweak. I don't know what you guys think is the most uh, beneficial tweak. It kind of sounded like Nihal was aiming towards uh, using a more um, recognizable title, I suppose, but like just tweaking it and see like how much of a uh, difference does it make to my actual uh, conversion there. Yeah, there's definitely variations you can test and execute on. Um, 
I, I think sometimes it's just also, you, you know, prioritization and, you, you know, if, if let's say sales isn't your primary, I guess like job role, right. Or you, you do have other responsibilities that you take care of as well. It's like, how do you, uh, or how, how do we, I guess, as a team make sure that, okay, like it's, it's fine if X is put to the side for, you know, two weeks or whatever it is. And we're just going hard after this, right? Like every day for two weeks, like, let's, let's just try to do this. Um, is it, honestly, at the end of the day, it's, it's just scale and also just experience when it comes to, um, I guess, building out certain like sales channels, right? Cause, uh, for example, from my end, I, I feel like my strengths lie more in terms of, um, like support messaging and, you know, uh, basically help draft messaging that can be used in outreach versus maybe the, the actual outreach element isn't necessarily something like I, I enjoy, right? Like it's, it's not really the, the thing I want to do, but then it's once again, the flip side of that is if it's just something we have to do, it's how do I adjust both my mindset and also just the way I schedule my responsibilities to execute on that uh, specific specific action as well. So weird too, right? Like uh, because of some of the other work that we've all done together, mm -hmm. product development, onboarding, website messaging, like we had someone who uh, signed up for an annual plan the start of this month. You know, it's still not crazy, but say, you know, twelve hundred dollars Canadian. Never had a conversation with them before, you know, signed up months ago and then came in and signed up out of out of seemingly nowhere. I don't know yeah, why. Yeah. And I mean, I I like the the outbound outreach is amazing, but I just love this idea of this this self-transaction mm -hmm. that just took place. And obviously, you know, maybe even without a conversation, we created enough value for them through our brand product, the output of our transcription and analysis that they decided to sign up. That's beautiful. You know, like when something comes together like that, it's very exciting. And, and of course, there is the need for the outbound channels. Like you're never going to hit the, that volume if you don't start outreaching to people. But to see that there's a, a system in play, like most of our transact, our new customers coming from organic search and signing up um, because they maybe maybe they had a brief conversation with us on intercom or, you know, maybe hopped on a 15 minute call just to see that we're a real, you know, real people mm -hmm. who care about what we're building. Um, and it's like, if we could just hit the scale, we could scale that up tremendously. You know, that's really a dream. Like 1200 is not that much for a year, but repeat that many, many times over. Uh, it can add up pretty quickly um, in terms of it. So as much as, you know, Niha, I know we're working on sort of outbound sales. It's like, um, the self-serve platform that we've built um, has a lot of room to grow. Uh, and we're working on that, that too. Because I think even, you know, the, the bias in me is, is that um, while outbound is an important part of any organization's growth, um, the ideal system is in, inbound, right? Like ideally, you're just providing an, enough value through your content, through your actual product, through how you educate people that, like Tyler said, they'll, they'll go through the entire kind of from top of the funnel all the way to actually signing up and paying for the platform without ever necessarily interacting with someone on your team, right? Because I think the, the two sides of that are, A, that becomes a very, um, that, that's a super high like uh, return on spend. Uh, uh, acquisition versus, you know, outbound just by sheer hours put into it, unless you're landing a uh, multi, you know, thousand or multi-million dollar deal, or, you know, it, it's, it, it, the cost of that can add up quite, uh, quite quickly, right? So for example, if you hired a, like, let's say we, we hired a sales rep and, you know, you're paying them their salary, whatever that might be. Um, and they go through, I don't know, like two months. I mean, I, 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 it would be pretty rough if like a, a, a sales rep like went two months without closing a sale because then there's there's larger larger problems there. But, you know, it, it's it's not a repeatable system in the sense that, okay, if you have a really good sales rep and then they leave, right, for better opportunity, whatever it is, unless you've actually built that system into your company, um, you've basically lost 
one huge acquisition channel for you versus if you actually build out a inbound system um for the most part that's that's evergreen right like obviously you need to update specific information as technology changes as the way people work changes but most of the time when you've provided enough value organically like people just keep coming to you as an expert source right as a brand versus an individual that convinces others to use your platform and i feel like that's finding that balance is is key to any kind of marketing and sales cycle but um, also sales the nice thing about outbound too is I think it really informs inbound marketing and the type of content we create as well. Because, you know, as you're doing this outreach, let's say you do get some positive responses, you'd even land a call. But then once you're on the call, they let you know, oh, like, you know, I'd love to use your platform, but you're missing X, Y, Z. That would make this something we could switch to. And you take that to your marketing team, you take that to your development team, and, you know, you build around that as well, if, if it's valuable enough. So... Like you said, like I in a, in a past there was a more egotistic version of Tyler that was like wanted to help the uh, you know a brand you know like some of that like the thought leadership has an impact on the success of the business and I still you know there's still the need for that and you see very successful companies because of it but like the idea that someone can find value in what we've built without even knowing who I am Vassal is basically anyone, that's like true value. That means you've created something of, of value and that's very exciting. And that is not that that's the goal here, especially in the short term. It's just like someone then can then take that over and probably even optimize it further pretty seamlessly. Um, and, and that's from a business, from a creating a business standpoint, that's, that's very, that's very valuable. Hard part is, is uh, yeah, just filtering the noise and getting all these different requests to do different things, like, you know, overdub and interactive transcript editing and figuring out like, what do I not want to prioritize? Cause you can only do so much. And I had a really interesting conversation with a large tech firm the other day, who a lot of people think about sort of standardized products that they've built, but yet as they're going deeper into some of the fields that they're going into, they are having to build custom solutions for everything. So it, it's like uh, product, product, um, repeatable growth product, you know, and then, and then as you, as you hit your, your wall of resistance or the growth slows there, that's when companies move upstream and go to more enterprise custom solutions. So it's this weird sort of back and forth cycle uh, that always commences. Um, I like where we are right now and we've got a great system to sort of allow us to do both. And in some ways, again, always we've talked about this for opportunity, but then some challenges that emerge, but uh, overall we're continuing to see growth and that makes us happy here. And it's been a great 2021. Uh, Lauren, just quick, quick. Oh, Michelle, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I, I'm interested in this point around, you know, like insights from some conversations that uh, you and Lauren have had uh, recently. And, yeah, so yeah. I wanted to ask Lauren about that, which basically um, two things, Lauren, like the, so without, again, without mentioning name of uh, a wonderful meeting yesterday with the financial, how would you say, an expert in finances and startups and fundraising. Um, and then also, yeah, any insights that you think are valuable to share with the audience who might choose to watch or read or listen to this? Um, and then the other part that I wanted to pick your brain on, and just for companies who are in the same process, is like, how do you what how do you capture and then report on annual plans? Um, and sort of this idea that almost every person is looking for both as a business and then if you're an investor looking in monthly recurring revenue. So those are two things. Any insights from the conversations yesterday you want to share? And then this sort of annual and how we build that into our business model. Sure, yeah, I learned quite a bit about uh, projections, um, especially, it's kind of ironic too, because uh, in this discussion here, uh, Nihal posted a, a Twitter link to Justin Khan talking about his red flags thing. And I found like the first red flag he brought up, I think it was a matter of um, just posting revenue as like a kind of like a flat increase and not really giving too much of a description. I feel like that's kind of been the biggest uh, a hurdle I've been trying to overcome as well within projections and um, something I've uh, learned just from our discussion yesterday is um, is really connecting like the actual business side to like the technical side uh, to show like why you think that you're going to be hitting uh, a certain number is also a matter of like where your milestones are within the actual um, within the engineering team like when they plan on releasing certain uh, features 
and like why are they going to release that feature like how much uh how much of an increase to our uh, user count do you think that's going to make a um, make a difference there um so it's a matter of like connecting like the timelines of both engineering with like the financial uh timeline and uh projecting there um sorry you had another question as well um just i guess reporting on when someone so we had a great customer oh, yes, sign up the, for the annual plan the annual and plans yeah um a great way to i've just been showing that um just as like a bulk payment for like the whole month but what should be really happening is um accrual based accounting where it's like all the uh, um, all the annual plans are like dumped into like a deferred revenue so it's kind of like raising our assets actually um not so much just like the cash it's kind of like raising like a different section of assets for like honored revenue so like the higher you have that um that's great to, that's you know that's a bonus for uh, investors to look at to show like you have money coming in and pretty much like on hold pretty much in order to deliver service like people are paying in advance for services so uh that can be pretty beneficial um and yeah it doesn't happen too often i think like we only have annual plans come in like once or twice a month uh but you know as we grow farther and farther it's going to be uh more of a, a balancing act with that to ensure that um uh, that you know, you probably want to try and get more annual revenue as opposed to just uh, monthly revenue. And then at that point, you also have to incentivize like just beyond uh, like a discount, like um, are there different products available for like annual uh, uh, annual subscription payers? Is there different like services um, as far as just uh, customer success and things of that nature? But um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunity to uh, just change uh, the products that we're offering just based on you know, how soon we want people to pay, I guess. So, so when you when you talk about it, though, so essentially when, I guess we're looking at it from just, you know, company assets and uh, total revenue. So when you kind of get these larger one-time bulk payments that are stretched out across, mm -hmm. I mean, they've given you the cash up front, but the kind of services due are over, let's say one year, two years, whatever the contract length is, that actually counts as, I guess, it's almost separate from your kind of monthly revenue stream. Yeah, it's right? just pretty much like smoothed out over the year, like as yeah. opposed to cash accrual, uh, cash mm -hmm. accounting, you just pretty much just say, oh, we got a big chunk of revenue this month, but it's actually like, oh, accrual accounting is like, that should probably be smoothed out over right. the year because you're going to be providing them services over the year. So. Right. Interesting. Question to that is like, uh, uh, do you have access to that cap? Like, you know, I guess in a situation where it's like, you, if you need access to cash flow, you can access mm -hmm. that capital. But is that sitting? Is that supposed to sit in like almost like an escrow? You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, is it almost supposed to sit in another account so that it's an asset that's there that's untouched that's just sitting there as a reserve? And then if so, when you are showing cash balance in the business, is that then? not there uh, does that make sense like yeah. uh it's yeah. it's pretty much a escrow yeah because you're just taking cash and you're like holding it over here and then kind of like giving it back to yourself slowly over the year just to make sure that um you know you're holding on to it properly because there's always the opportunity well i'm not sure if an opportunity but uh sometimes people will um decide to cancel and depending on the company they'll say okay well you've already um we'll prorate the amount that you've paid for the year so we'll give you back like the six months that you didn't use so it's a good way of making sure like in case someone does ask for that money back but that doesn't really happen too much for like actual uh you know tech subscriptions uh we will pay you that back because it's just like it's more it's more for like larger contracts like say you have like a hundred thousand dollar contract for like several years but like after a while it's like oh, okay we understand this isn't going to work out so here's the money that uh, we technically owe you in a way so it's kind of like a reverse liability to account. That's uh, I just something that we wrestled with for a while. It's something that you know it didn't, didn't really know the answer to, and we would always get asked like on, on those update emails. It confused people because um, I would say software revenue this month was X fifteen whatever, and then they would say, "Is that MRR or is that 
And then I do my live and say, is that, oh, so it's your annual revenue? No. So it could just turn this mess. And, um, you know, what I, what I realized and what I got a great advice from a very successful friend said, you know, make, build the metric to be MRR, report on that every month and also align your team around that. Um, that's, you know, that's a, a very valuable metric. It's weird. Cause then in a, in a way you're like, well then, even though it's MRR, you're still prioritizing annual plans because you know it's contributing to MRR. But generally, that's what we want to see is that increase every every month. So um, that was that that was a good insight, and uh, we're learning lots along the way, right? You know, you, so many intricacies to this, whether it's building the company, hiring, reporting, growth, whatever this is, it's uh, it's quite a journey that uh, that we're on. It's it's nice to still be learning. You know, what I mean, I think when you hit the peak where you feel like you're not learning anything, that's when you're like, I'm in the wrong spot. So I'm glad to not have that feeling one bit. And I don't even know the last time I, I felt that way. So, um, okay, we're at, 1, we're at 1 p.m. here. We've gone in for an hour. Um, there's a conversation that Nihal, you know, you have, but I think, you know, maybe do you want to bucket that one? Do you want to go into it? Uh, we can, uh, we can bucket it. It's fine. Yeah. I'd like to come with some thoughts on it, uh, you know, even, even, you know, and then the one last thing quickly that we'll just touch on, um, we'll talk about this in our monthly update, and maybe we've talked about the last couple of weeks, it's just sort of this intercom product tour. So this is very quick uh, discussion, but starting to get some insights back uh, on, you know, those are now live in a couple of main places of the application. And, um, you know, I'm interested to know what benchmarks are, you, you know, what is, what is, but for right now, we have a product tour. Some of this is being skewed because I can see our own people on it. But I would say we're at about a, so people log in, they come to the dashboard. I'd say we're at about a 20% completion rate. That's a lot of steps in that tour. Um, uh, but it's great to see the people who are going through it. And I'm really interested to ask maybe for some feedback about how we can uh, improve this um, and exciting, I guess I didn't need to bring this up, but it's excited, excited to have this in the system and then monitor and figure out, you know, are the people who are actually going through the onboarding experience, for example, are they actually um, converting into customers at a higher rate? Are they talking to us more and asking us questions? What happens to someone who um, completes an onboarding versus who doesn't? And is that making any impact on the success of the adoption of the product? So grateful for all the support. That's so I did a, a fantastic job linking uh, this and sort of solving the inter dynamic web application challenge and those will be live and we'll continue to sort of sort of report on those and you know me hold the topic that we'll talk more about next next week is like why is data visualization important um, there's some nice visualization of the performance of these and it's just helpful to digest and understand that performance in a, in a meaningful way so um, all right uh, December Office hours 45. We're almost at 50 here, man. What a what a what a wild journey. Uh, anything uh, you guys have to, to say before we close this out for the week? Uh, happy Hanukkah to anybody out there who might be celebrating mm. this week. Beautiful. Nihal? No, uh, nothing too crazy. Like it, it would be interesting to see maybe, you know, how how we kind of open up these I, I think we discussed this last week a bit as well but you know we, we have uh friends in the tech scene we have friends launching their own products right we have um uh people we could potentially bring on for conversations about the things they do the things we do and it, it would be interesting to see how we can leverage that and you know create even more value for anyone that does listen to this and also just for ourselves as well because uh I think bringing an outside perspective always, uh, as we've seen these past two weeks, it's it's it really opens your mind to you know gaps in your knowledge and things that you might not be uh, seeing because you're so close to to the things you're building, right? So yeah. the, the the guy that talked to very successful in sales, like one of the reasons they were so successful is because they're recording all their sales calls and reviewing back and sort of relearning. And one of the requests I actually have it in my travel board because we haven't done a good enough job is like all these office hours are recorded on uh, YouTube or recorded here and then they upload them on YouTube. But I haven't published them on the site and then pushed them to like Spotify and stuff. And for me, I end up listening on Spotify a lot more than watching back on YouTube. So I think we're missing out a chance to obviously distribute what we're doing more, but also even for self-reflection and sort of on the go 
you know, learning from the way that we're talking or sharing uh, a lot there. And then at some point, some of the shareable media library that we're working on, um, I'm excited to have all the office hours into their speak system and see if there's any trends and things that have emerged and even do a little case study on that. I think there's a lot of awesome opportunity there. So, um, all right, I send this up. Thank you everyone, appreciate it. Take care.